Your Dr. House, new patient, male, chronic sinusitis, diarrhea, infertility. What's your diagnosis? You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the voice of the medical professional. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Rick Moss. Dr. Moss is a professor of pediatrics at the Stanford University Medical Center in Stanford, California. He is the chief of the Division of Pulmonology and Allergy Immunology and director of the Stanford Cystic Fibrosis Center. Welcome, Dr. Moss, and thanks for taking the time to join us at the roundtable. Thank you for having me. Today, we're discussing taking care of patients who are living longer with cystic fibrosis and transitioning into adult care. Rick, I'm a pediatrician. You're a pediatrician. How did you get into taking care of adults with cystic fibrosis? Well, it was a natural evolution of increasing success in dealing with the disease. When I got into this business, it was very rare to have patients with CF live into their teens. And now the median survival nationally is pushing 37 years of age. So that means about half the patients are reaching that age. So what has happened has been really an accrual of mostly empirical but progressively superior treatment for the symptoms and manifestations of CF. The Cystic Fibrosis Center, is that something new or has it been in business for a while? CF centers go back a long way. They were started in at least the early 70s, if not before, through the efforts of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, which originally was based as an association of families and now has grown into one of the most effective private institutions advocating for uh, disease management in the country. So the Stanford CF Center goes back to 74 or so, and through that time, what we've seen is patients that get referred for treatment by a multidisciplinary team that can provide care for the uh, multiple manifestations and needs of these patients. Is there a certification for the cystic fibrosis centers by the foundation? Yeah, that's one of the most interesting things about this model that I think may be applicable to many other diseases. A CF is an orphan disease in that there are only about 30,000 people affected in the United States, so it's relatively small numbers, and that allows care to be organized in regional uh, centers, usually affiliated with academic medical institutions. The centers, once established, are partially funded and peer-accredited by people who work with the CF Foundation. So it provides a model of peer review of care and also as an advocacy for institutions to provide resources for the multidisciplinary team that's necessary for the care of the patients. You mentioned that the median age of survival is now 37. I would assume that that results in a number of new problems for the internist or the pediatrician taking care of the older cystic fibrosis patient. What sort of things do they need to be prepared to treat, diagnose, and provide support for? Well, part of it is progression of problems that start in early life, so that one of the main manifestations of cystic fibrosis is a chronic lung disease, and that does tend to progress with time with an average loss of lung function of 1% or 2% a year globally. So that by the time people reach their early 20s, they often have significant lung involvement. And therefore, the family practitioner or internist who's taking care of adults uh, needs to be uh, conversant in the care of uh, chronic lung disease. And the particular manifestation in CF that's of most concern is bronchiectasis. Then there are other problems that really aren't seen very much in the pediatric years that then become apparent in adult years. Could I just stop for a second? Because immunization, obviously, is so close to the heart of pediatricians. Do you emphasize the yearly influenza vaccine, and what about pneumococcal vaccine for CF patients? 
Yes, I mean, all the usual childhood immunizations are recommended, and in addition, uh, both of those are also recommended for CF patients. Influenza vaccine annually is especially important because studies have shown that CF patients will often deteriorate when they have influenza. So, yes, I think that's quite true. However, the usual immunizations don't affect the major pulmonary pathogens that these patients have to deal with, which include Staph aureus and Pseudomonas aeruginosa in particular. Has MRSA become a problem in CF patients? MRSA is an increasing problem, and we think it's due mostly to the rise of it in the community, more so than nosocomial exposure. But yes, many patients with CF now have MRSA. The figures are upwards of 15 or 20 percent nationally. And that really is an issue more for infection control than as a factor in the disease progression, although there is some recent evidence that suggests that MRSA may be more pathogenic than methicillin-sensitive staph aureus in these patients. I was curious if it resulted also in more hospitalizations. I don't think it necessarily results in more hospitalization. It's associated with increased hospitalization because MRSA tends to occur later in the disease course. I see. Go ahead. You were talking about some other long-term complications or condition that develop in later life. Right. As an example of a problem that a pediatrician would not see, but an internist or family physician, some primary practitioner would see in an adult, would be, for example, in the male, infertility. So that is actually one of the cardinal things to think about CF diagnosis if there's infertility in the male, because about 5% of male fertility is caused by a condition called congenital bilateral absence of the vas deferens. And the majority of those cases are associated with the CF mutations. I'd like to come back to that in just a moment and take time to welcome those who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Rick Moss, director of the Cystic Fibrosis Center at Stanford University. We're discussing cystic fibrosis in adults. You're speaking about the infertility. I imagine as these patients are living into adult life, that's becoming an increasing problem and a concern for the patient, obviously. It's a major concern of males with CF, and due to technology now, it's possible for adult males with CF to father children through sperm aspiration and in vitro fertilization. So they're not infertile. It's really a transportation problem. Absolutely. Other problems? Well, another example of something that internists will see that is very rare in the pediatric population are people that have recurrent attacks of pancreatitis. Only in the last few years has it become appreciated that a significant number of these individuals actually have uh, cystic fibrosis. So CF uh, diagnosis can occur following uh, pancreatitis, and the patient may not have many of the other common manifestations. So I think there's a broadening spectrum of CF that's now seen in the adult population. Other problems that occur earlier in life tend to become more common later in life, so that diabetes, which we rarely see in the preteen years and only occasionally in teenagers, becomes quite common in adults with cystic fibrosis. What about the exocrine abnormalities? Do many of them need pancreatic enzymes? Yes, that is something that starts really at birth and continues lifelong. Most CF mutations result in pancreatic insufficiency, so the exocrine pancreas is not producing the enzymes necessary for digestion of uh, primarily fats, but to some degree also proteins and sugars. So they have to get pancreatic enzyme extracts to supplement their diets or else they have uh, steatorrhea, malabsorption. From the malabsorption, do other things occur, vitamin deficiencies, osteoporosis? Yes, both of those occur. And one of the things that uh, we do is, besides giving them enzymes, give them a fat-soluble vitamin supplement. There are a number of these that are manufactured so that just vitamins A, D, E, and K are given as a supplement beyond the usual multivitamin supplement. 
and that usually provides enough fat-soluble vitamins to overcome any deficiency. Is there any way of increasing the lung capacity? Does exercise make a difference? Yes. There have been now a number of very good studies of exercise that show that regular aerobic exercise can actually mitigate against the decline in lung function in cystic fibrosis. The problem for CF patients, as for the rest of us, is sticking to a program that will continue that on a chronic basis. Do you see that in the future patients with CF are going to continue to have longer life expectancies? And if so, are we going to have enough trained personnel to take care of these people? Well, there's every expectation that survival will continue to improve. The leading centers in North America and in Europe and elsewhere have median survivals that are now in the mid to upper 40s. So there's no reason to suspect that we won't achieve that on a broader basis. And one of the things that the care centers now are engaging in are quality improvement efforts to reduce variability in care and and institute on a very wide basis the most effective chronic treatments. So I do think that we will see increased survival. The second part of your question is really critically important, and that is both training and providing care from people expert in the care of adults to patients with CF. Myself as a pediatrician, I've pretty much gotten out of the business of taking care of adult patients. At our center, as in many other centers, we have now an adult program with internist pulmonologists who provide the care for the overwhelming majority of the adult patients. When we talked earlier, you said one of the problems was adult pulmonologists more interested in doing the high remunerative procedures. (laughs) How do you convince them that cognitive skills are important, too, and to help take care of these patients? Yeah, I think it is true. For many pulmonologists, the RVUs really come in from ICU work, and CF is at a disadvantage, like many other chronic diseases that require high cognitive skills and not necessarily a lot of procedures. I think there's a couple answers to that. Probably one of the most important is what happens during their training programs, both in medicine residencies or family practice residencies and in pulmonary fellowships. CF is increasingly part of the curriculum, but they also need exposure to the patients, and they also need exposure to the very exciting science that's dealing with the CF as a disease process. There's some just incredible medical genetics and cellular biology So many basic scientists are very aware that CF is a very, very challenging and interesting field to work in, and I think we have to bring that same interest to physician scientists and clinicians. I bet it costs a ton of money to live with cystic fibrosis. How's the insurance coverage, and what problems do adults have getting coverage and funding to support their care versus that of a child? Coverage for CF is generally pretty good for people with private insurance As far as public insurance goes, it's really very much a patchwork situation depending on the state. Here in California, we do have good programs for both uh, pediatric and adult CF cases where they're eligible for public funding in addition to Medi-Cal or Medicaid if they have eligibility requirements. But in other states, that's not available. The problem for most CF patients is not getting coverage. It's really the fact that co-pays have become very burdensome because of the very high cost of treating the disease. Do you have a take-home message for our audience? I think for the general practitioner or the internist, there are a couple of important points. One is that you need to think about cystic fibrosis in adults who have a chronic lung disease of any kind, whether you think or it's previously been diagnosed as bronchitis or asthma. If there's an element of a chronic symptomatology, uh, look for bronchiectasis. If the patient has bronchiectasis, 
you should think about ruling out cystic fibrosis if there's concurrent uh, male infertility, pancreatitis, or significant sinusitis, uh, usually with nasal polyps. Those are really things to look for. Also diabetes, GI problems, obviously malabsorption. So this is a protein disease that really can manifest in many different ways. People with milder mutations may present later in life, and one should not think that all cases have been picked up in early life. This is not true. I think it's up to 5% can be diagnosed as adults. Is that right? It's at least 5%. At least. Well, our time, Rick, has just gone by so quickly. I'd like to thank you so much for being our guest. And we've been discussing taking care of adults with cystic fibrosis. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and take advantage of our new on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Thanks for listening. I wish you good day and good health.